This morning we start uh, a new series. We are beginning to go through the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And so today's our, our first week and we are going to be covering uh, three whole verses today. And so at this rate, we have no idea how long it'll take us to get through, but that's all right. Um, and we're really excited. You know, we always just pray and seek the Lord and like, God, what do you want us to teach on? What is our book of the Bible? Is our topic? Is there something you want us to do? Um, and we try not to do anything here uh, except for what God tells us to do when he tells us to do it. And that includes this. And we just feel really clearly that the Lord's led us to first and then second Corinthians. Um, so we just trust that the Lord will speak to us as individuals and as a community of people together and what he has for us. So I'm going to read this, um, these three verses, and then we'll, we'll talk a bit about them. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to pop that open and look there. Um, if not, this will be on the screen. This is what it says. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you'll see this pattern throughout the New Testament, these letters that are written. Um, in the way that this was set up in that culture back then, the author of the letter didn't sign his name usually at the end of the letter, but often at the beginning of the letter. Um, it's kind of convenient, right? Because if you get a letter in the mail, don't you always go to the back anyway and see what it's from and see if it's worth reading? I mean, at least I do. But um, not your letters, of course. I always read those. I'm just playing. Um, no, so in, in these letters, it says at the beginning, Paul. Paul is the author of this letter. He wrote a ton of the New Testament. Um, he wrote a ton of letters to different churches that uh, made its way into our, into our Bible, into, into the Holy Scripture. He writes all these things. And so he's saying, I, Paul, I'm the one who wrote this letter. And he's saying, like, who, who am I? What's his credentials? The, the church here in Corinth, which he's writing, uh, began to, like, not, not trust him, not like him so much on some particular things. So he's reminding them that he was called not by his own work, not by his own action, not by his own desires, not by his own efforts. He was called specifically by God to be an apostle. The word apostle, uh, there are the 12 apostles that were Jesus and 12 key disciples there. They're called apostles. But throughout the New Testament, we see the term apostle used for other people as well. The term apostle simply means sent one. It's like a missionary. And so we see this in Acts chapter 13. Actually, a bunch of church leaders are all gathered together. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says to the group of people, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for, for my work, for ministry. The Holy Spirit calls Paul to be an apostle, to to be a missionary, and that's what he does. He fulfills that. He goes throughout Asia, man. He goes crazy, starts a ton of churches, shares the gospel like a madman, sees tons of people come to faith, and, and the gospel spread like crazy. And, and he's saying, that's who I am. That's who's writing this. I am an apostle by the will of God, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and I says, our brother Sosthenes. Don't know a ton about Sosthenes, but he was a guy with Paul, apparently wrote it, was right alongside, with Paul, was right alongside of Paul in this. He's saying, this is who this letter is from. Now, in, in these letters, it goes right away to who this is to. And he says this. To the church of God that is in Corinth. Um, 
these letters in the word, and they're written, the, the church was broken up not into individual congregations. The, there was the city church. So there was the church that met in Corinth. Sometimes Paul will write a letter to a region, like Galatia is a region, not a city. But here he's writing to a particular city uh, of Corinth where there's a bunch of house churches that meet house to house to house to house. But he sees them all as one particular church, united in Christ, where Jesus is the head, and he's writing to them. And and so he, he says some pretty interesting things to this church. He says to them, to the church, to the gathered ones of Jesus that is in Corinth, He says this, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He he says right away, to those who are sanctified, sanctified is a pretty churchy word, pretty uh, technical term, Um, but the word uh, holy comes from this, the word saint is the same root word, saint. Holy uh, means set apart, cleansed, purified. It's a term that's used throughout the Old Testament where God dwelled then in a temple where if you wanted to go be in the temple, not just anyone could just go to the most holy place where God himself dwelled. Only special people that were sanctified, that were set apart, that were cleansed, that were purified. So priests had to go through this big ordeal of sacrifices for their sin and this cleansing process and only a few groups of few people that served in the role as priests that were specially set apart for the work of service to the lord only those people could do certain things in the temple even the things that were used in the temple different utensils and bowls and things of that kind you couldn't just take something off the street and be like you know this will work i'll take this to the temple they were special they were purified They were set apart. They were holy. They were to be dedicated only to the use of the Lord. And so Paul is using some unbelievable terminology here. He says, you, the church gathered. You, the sanctified ones. You, the saints. Now, the saints isn't a term that we often use today, unless you maybe come from a Catholic background But even that term saint is used for very, very, very few people. And Paul here is telling us that this isn't just for a select group of people. This is for all believers of Jesus Christ who everywhere, in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This means that all believers are are called saints and sanctified. But it's interesting that Paul uses this to start out with the church in Corinth. I mean, if you hear this, right, and... He's calling this church here in Corinth saints and sanctified, people that are set apart and holy. You would think that this church in Corinth was was an all-star team, right? You'd hear them like, man, they must be killing it. They must be like, what are they doing? Because they are doing the right stuff, being called sanctified, set apart, holy. Come on, what are they doing? And what's crazy about this church, this church was messed up. This church... You think crazy. Okay, yeah, there was some disunity. There was some infighting. They were suing one another. They were, uh, some people were getting wasted on communion wine. Um, Sexual immorality. There's a problem with prostitution. There was a problem. We'll see this later on in 1 Corinthians. Paul's like, you guys are so screwed up. You guys are embracing sin that even the pagans don't embrace. That's how messed up that you guys are. You got a guy in your church who's sleeping with his mother-in-law, and you think it's like no big deal. Like, you guys are messed up. There's disagreements about 
how, how much interaction they should have with the world and false idol, all, all these things. This place wasn't uh, a church that we'd look at and be like, man, they're doing it right. Oh, hallelujah. Everyone put them on a pedestal and do what they do. You look at them and you're like, oh my goodness. And if I was writing a letter to that, well, I'd be like, what are you doing, you idiot? Stop being dumb. You know, what does Paul say? You, my sanctified, the sanctified ones. You, the saints. What? That doesn't make any sense. And the reason why I think it doesn't make sense is because we don't understand the gospel and we don't know what's been done through us, for us, and in us, in Christ Jesus. You see, what happens when we come to faith in Jesus Christ isn't simply that our sins are forgiven. We are given a new identity, a new nature, because here's the problem. You and I are not sinners because we do sinful things. You and I are born sinners because we and I are born sinners. That's why we do sinful things. But if I were to ask you this question now, are you a sinner or are you a saint? What would you tell me? I asked a lot of people that this, this week. And it's amazing. And I'm not talking like average people off the street. I'm, these are people that I know follow Jesus. And it's amazing to me how often we respond, oh, I'm a sinner. Like a second nature. There's that phrase, right? I'm a sinner saved by grace. Now, I understand why we say that stuff, absolutely. But I will tell you, tell you what. Um, when we say things like that, that's talking about things prior to Jesus Christ. Because when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are moved from being a sinner and now we are saints. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, 10. It's a whole section. Uh, and Hebrews is filled with stuff from the Old Testament, the, the temple and sacrifices and purification things. And Hebrews is a book that continues to point, take those things and point to how Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. And, and so it says this. In the context of talking about sacrifices, it says, and by that, we have been sanctified. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Here's, here's what's crazy about that. We read that like, yeah, I know that. I know that. I've heard that before. No, here's what's nuts about this. Is what is saying here in the book of Hebrews is that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was sufficient, was satisfactory, was necessary to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness, past, present, and future. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross was a definitive work over 2,000 years ago that was necessary, did everything that was necessary so that we can stand before a holy and righteous and pure God as ourselves being holy and righteous and pure. It is not based on your works that cause you to be holy or unholy. It is based upon the work of Jesus Christ that gives us the title, gives us the identity of those that are holy, that are sanctified, and they are saints. You could, listen, some of you screwed up like crazy this week. But what ends up happening is we're like, man, I sinned, I did something dumb, I'm such a sinner. No, instead it's, man, I screwed up, I sinned, I'm, I'm a screw up. I, I screwed up, but that's no longer who I am. I'm no longer a sinner. I am a saint. That's what he says. You have been sanctified. That is a past tense event. It is done. It is finished. And he goes on to explain it a little more fully. He says, and every priest 
stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So he's saying, he's going back to this temple imagery, and up to the time of Jesus, God offered these sacrifices of animals that were made as a precursor to Jesus. But if you wanted to be pure, if you want to be holy, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to be set apart, you had to go offer these sacrifices. And the sin was so, you know, the sin was continuous. You'd always screw up, you'd always do dumb things. And so there were sacrifices that would have to be made over and over and over and over again. And so he's saying, the priests at these temples were always busy, you know. They would sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Okay, I'm done with my time. Tag in, next guy comes in. Sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. It was continuous because the problem of sin, it, it continued ha- to have to be dealt with. But Jesus does it differently. Verse 12. Amen. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Jesus, our high priest, doesn't stand continually having to make sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, even when you continue to screw up. Jesus made the pure and right and necessary sacrifice and he made it once for all and it was so sufficient and it was so enough that right now he is actually seated in the heavenly realms at the right hand of the Father. Because the sacrifice that has been made for our purification, for our sanctification, for, for, uh, to make us pure and right and holy and set apart, that sacrifice is done and it is complete. And I know you're thinking, all right, like, that sounds cool, but why do I still sin? You see, verse 14. This is for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I think this is a really interesting verse. Because he's saying we have been perfected in the past tense. What Jesus did on the cross for us has made us right with God. It has given us a new identity. He's no longer a sinner but a saint. But there is something about a process where we are growing into maturity of being sanctified. Sanctified is this process of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And I think sometimes we make that part of the gospel so, uh, so optional. We're like, all right, good, I'm, I'm saved from hell, that's good, I'm sanctified, so now I can do whatever I want, it's not a big deal. No, no, the good news of the gospel isn't so that you can simply be forgiven of sins to continue to do whatever the heck you want and living in darkness. The good news of the gospel is you've been forgiven of sins so that you can have a right, reconciled relationship with the God of the universe, and in that right relationship, he gives you a new identity which no longer loves sin, no longer loves the ways of the world, that you now are given a new identity that loves him, loves righteousness, Loves what is pure, loves what is holy, not because this is drudgery or obligatory thing of like, I gotta follow Jesus, but because when we walk in step with what is right, it leads us more and more in step with Him, the one who is life. And it, it causes us to live more into the identity of who God has called us to be. Amen. See, we get screwed up though. When we sin, we go, oh, I must be a sinner. If you have professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, your identity has been changed, and now you are a saint who occasionally sins. 
You are no longer a sinner who occasionally does or often does good things. Your identity has been changed. And honestly, like, I know the temptation when I say that, for you that have grown up in the church for a long time, is is we hear that and we say, yeah, yeah, I get that, I get that, I get that. But then the temptation is to believe the lie that what makes you holy or continues to make you holy is doing the checklist of the right things that gives you the identity of being holy. You're doing the right things isn't what makes you holy. You have a desire to do those things because of the grace of God that has given you a new nature and a new identity that has called you a saint and no longer a sinner. Some of you, like, we just don't, we just don't buy that identity, right? So we, we think, well, I, I could never be a saint because I don't do the right things. And I, I'll tell you, like, your identity is made new, but there is a process of growing and there is a process of maturity, like my kids, right? I talk about my kids a lot. Three boys, one, four, and six. And um, there are expectations and in, in, in things that come along with being a, a smith. We say part of the value of being a smith, values that we have or things we want to see is that we, we love other people. We love the Lord. We love other people. We treat others with honor and respect. We speak words of life and building up and edifying rather than words that tear down and stuff, Right? My kids, one, four, and six, aren't even remotely close to doing this well. Right? But those days where they don't do it well, I don't go, oh, you're not a smith. I say, oh, buddy. Hey, remember, this is not who you are. We treat each other with honor and respect and love and grace. Come on, buddy, I'll help you. Let's, let's step into this. And it's spurring on encouraging one another towards maturity. It's not what they do or don't do is saying, it determines whether they're a part of the family or not. It's them saying, you are a smith. I want to help you grow into maturity to who you already are. Sanctification as a believer in Jesus Christ is there is the positional where you're standing before the Lord pure and holy and right, and there's the progression of being more and more sanctified, growing in more and more Christ-likeness, that that is God's will for you, and that's God's promise for you, is that he will conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. And there's a process that comes along with that, but as you grow in maturity, it is you simply growing into becoming who you already are as a saint. But here, here's what changes for me in this. Like, what changes for me in this is, is repentance. Because repentance has gotten such a, it's like a, a bad rap, man. Like, we treat repentance like it's horrible. Like, oh, you know, we hit ourselves and like how horrible it is. I've got I've to repent for my horrible, rotten, and nasty sin. And then I actually, I feel like I got to do all the right things to like show God I'm really serious about it and like prove it. And then um, after I do like three or four nice things, then I come to the Lord and say, God, I repent of this. And just to prove it, like, I love Michelle well today, and I serve this person well today, and I'm bringing my own efforts and my own works because when I see myself as a, as a sinner, now don't get me wrong, when you, you remind, when Josh said so brilliantly last week, there's, there's benefit to seeing how we were prior to Jesus Christ because it is only by his grace that saves us. But I will tell you this, it is only by his grace that gives us the strength to walk in holiness as well. So that when we screw up, there is a confidence in our repentance 
that I can come to the Father and say, oh, man, I messed up, but I know that's not who I am anymore, and I am confident that the work that you began in me, that you will see it to completion. That God then isn't looking to shame me or condemn me for those times I sinned, but to say, oh, Britain, yeah, that's not what was best. Remember, I've saved you from that. I've delivered for you from that. I've freed you from that. That is no longer who you are. Remember, Brent, you are holy. You are pure. You are beloved. Now I want to give you the grace to walk in that. And so when Jesus points things out in me that don't line up with that, it's actually his grace to cause me to be more like Christ and to grow me in the process of sanctification. But so often, right, we, we mess up. We run from the Lord out of fear of condemnation and shame rather than running to him, knowing that this doesn't affect your identity as a saint. You are already a saint. That is secure. That is steadfast. Now, when we can repent of sin, it's, it's joyful. This has changed the way that I uh, hold people accountable and I have them hold me accountable for sin, right? What happens when you go confess sin to someone? They're like, eh, don't do that again. That was dumb, right? Maybe it's a little harsher than that. I I don't know. But here's what blows my mind. The Apostle Paul, he addresses a lot of problems in in the church. And what does the Apostle Paul do? He simply says, hey guys, you once were this, but now you're this. Don't live like you once were. He lists all these things. Say, yeah, guys, you used to be filled with idolatry and greed and sexual immorality. You used to be filled with rage and anger, but that's no longer who you are. Remember that you have a new identity in Christ, and God's going to give you the grace to live out that new identity. So live now, not as children of the darkness, but live as children of the light. Why? Because that's who you are. But what often happens is we hold on to our old identity and use that as an excuse to walk in sin. So we do it like, well, I'm just, a, I'm just a really angry person. I'm just filled with rage. It's just who I am. It's been handed down from generation to generation. That's, that's just who I am. And so when we identify with those things, that then gives us the permission to continue to walk in it because we think there's no hope for getting out of it because that's who we are. I don't... Con- <clears throat> some of you have been... Some of you have been walking in bondage. Some of you have been walking in sin. Some of you have been walking in blatant lies of the enemy. And you continue to walk in it because you simply say, that's who I am. That is a lie. That is no longer who you are. You are a saint being sanctified and being made more like Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And for some of you this morning, may simply be, oh man, that's not who I am. And just praising the Lord for it and releasing it back over to the Lord. You ever get that feeling sometimes where you like you want to move on to something else the Lord just keeps bringing you back to the same old thing? I'm like, but I already said that. He goes, no, keep going back. God's will for you is what the fancy word, right? Sanctification of growing to be more like Christ. I think sometimes we've downplayed holiness because we think, well, 
I'm good, I, I kind of got my ticket to heaven, I'm all set. But Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, like, no, no, if we've really been transformed, if we really, uh, our, our, our heart now has been made, if we, our identity is a saint, we're going to want to live as a saint. Not that we don't screw up, not that we don't mess up, not that it's not a challenge, not that it's not a struggle, but our heart's desire is to live as saints, live as Christ, because that's simply who we are. Um, you have been entrusted with the gift of holiness. God says that God is holy, therefore we are to be holy as God is holy. And that can be incredibly overwhelming, especially in West Michigan where we have this mentality, I need to try harder to be holy. I need to do better at being holy. And here's the beauty of the gospel is that all things were created. Talking about Jesus, all things come created by him, through him, and for him. And so we simply receive God's holiness through Jesus Christ and his work. It is the power of Christ that has worked within us that gives us the ability even to walk in holiness and display that life back to him as an offering back to the Lord the creator of the universe. And, and so this morning, I, I, for some of you, are striving for holiness. And I think that it's something that we, we seek, we want, we desire. But at the end of the day, our holiness doesn't come from you trying more. I think it simply comes from gazing and beholding the beauty of Jesus Christ and recognizing his holiness that is at work within you and trusting his strength and power for you to walk in what is right and what is true. But so often we disqualify that. Like, ah, yeah, okay, I made it right. Yeah, absolutely. But God loves you and is working in you to um, grow in you Christ-likeness so that you would live the life of the fullness of what God has for us. And it's true. Like, we are not going to receive, we're not going to attain perfection until Christ comes again. We are going to stand before Jesus one day and we will be completely transformed into the fullness of all that God has promised us. But that doesn't mean in the meantime we just go, eh, whatever. That we get to walk in step with the creator of the universe who is at work in us, making us more and more and more like Jesus Christ. Moran Park, God is calling us to holiness. But let me tell you this. He's calling us to holiness, not to earn or achieve something. He's calling us to holiness because the blood of Jesus Christ has already made us holy. And he's inviting us to live out who we already are in Christ Jesus. For some of you this morning, if God has been pointing out or revealing some sin in you, uh, I just encourage you to... um, (laughs) turn Turn it to the Lord and see repentance not as this like weighty thing. Like, I I wish... My hope for Moran Park is that when we confess sin to one another, it'd be like, I was a jerk to my wife last night, but I asked the Lord for forgiveness. Praise the Lord that he pointed that out in me. Man, I was so angry last night. I let, I let, the, anger, I let the anger get a hold of me. But oh, praise the Lord for pointing that out in me because that's not who I am anymore. God set me free of that. Like, oh, so I look, looked at, you know, something I shouldn't have or pornography, whatever it may be. It's like, oh, That's so dumb. But man, praise the Lord. That is no longer who I am anymore. I am now righteous. I am pure and I am holy. And it is amazing what happens when you understand who you are. It's so much easier to live into that identity. Because if you are told you are rotten, you are nasty, you are horrible, you are a sinner. Soon you begin to believe that and you just start walking in that reality. When you're told over and over, no, you're a sinner. You're, you're not a sinner. You're a saint. You're a pure. You're a holy beloved. Therefore, when you live in a way that is contrary to that, it's like, oh, that's so dumb. Why would I do that drunk? That's not who I am anymore. Rampark, you are a saint. But I will tell you this. If you never have 
repented of sin and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, it is true. You are a sinner. It is true that you are seen as wretched, you are seen as uh, unclean, you are seen as impure, and that sin separates you from the God of the universe, not just now, but for all of eternity. Some of you are trying really hard to do enough good things to please God, to make yourself pure, to make yourself holy, to earn your spot as being a saint. But I will tell you this, there is nothing that you can do to earn the work of being a saint. You are stuck being a sinner because the problem is you're not just doing sinful things. The problem is your heart, which is sinful and wicked and causes sin to come from it. But here's what's awesome. Like here's so good news. Someone asked me this morning, they're like, why are you so chipper today? I'm like, because this is good news. The good news of the gospel says is that what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago is offered and extended to you as well to forgive you of all your sins, to cleanse you of all your impurity, all the garbage that's been done to you and that you've done so that you could stand before the holy and righteous God of the universe as one who is accepted, who is loved, who is beloved, who is, who is treasured, that you could stand before him and that he would give you a new nature and a new identity or that you could be a saint that you can be entrusted with his character, his holiness, and that you can live a life that reflects the glory and the majesty of his son, Jesus Christ. The response is simply say, I no longer want to walk in the way of the world of sin. I need this forgiveness. God, make me clean and trusting and walking with him that he will begin the process of you of making you more and more and more like Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, this is so old school, you know. Um, Yeah, let's do that. In a minute, we're going to sing. And as we sing, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come forward. There are some of you that have been hearing the good news of the gospel for, for weeks or months or years here at Moran Park, and you have never actually taken the step of turning from sin and saying, Jesus, I need that forgiveness. I need the work that you've done for me for the forgiveness of my sins. I need a new nature. I I no longer want to be a sinner. I need the work of Jesus to make me a saint and to live a life that pleases him and that's worthy of his calling that he he wants for me. And so if God is stirring your heart to to just confess Jesus Christ as Lord, I'm going to invite you to come up to one of the prayer teams during the first song. And they they will pray with you and they will um, do do that, lead you in that of giving your life to Jesus Christ. Others of you, if you just feel like I need prayer for a revelation of of the gospel, I need revelation of who Jesus is, I need revelation of my identity as a saint, I'm going to invite you to come forward for prayer too, that people would pray over you, that that truth would move from your head to your heart. Some of you, you've been stuck in your head over and over and over. Okay, I get it, I get it, I get it. But I was meeting with a guy on Friday. I was like, hey, I was was running some of this stuff uh, by him. And all of a sudden, you could see the light bulb in his heart go on and goes, this changes everything. And I was wept. I'm like, I know. Dude, you're a saint. You're a saint. You're a saint. Because of the work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, no other sacrifice was sufficient.
God, no other sacrifice, no sacrifice that we could bring to the table is sufficient. So God, we thank you for doing what we could never have done on ourselves and sending Jesus to be the true and right sacrifice uh, for us, the pure and holy sacrifice, the one that has cleansed us from all of our sin, the one who has, uh, that his blood was shed for us to make us pure, to make us set apart, to make us saints. So we thank you, Jesus, for that sacrifice. God, would you give us revelation of our identity in Jesus? That it is not our works that make us holy, but the work of Jesus that makes us holy. God, some of my brothers and sisters here this morning do not feel holy. And I thank you, God, that our holiness, our sainthood, is not dependent upon uh, how we feel this morning, but based on the truth of what you say in the gospel. So I pray, God, for revelation in our hearts that we are saints, God, that you would give us the grace to live out being saints. And for those ways that we're blatantly choosing to live according to our old life, God, that you would give us grace and joy to live out and grow in maturity in the identity of saints that you've given us in Christ. For those that have never turned away from sin and confessed you as Lord and asked for that forgiveness, I pray, God, that today would be the day of salvation. That today would be the day that say, I'm no longer living for myself. My life is yours. That today would be the day that they receive a new nature. Moving from sinner to saint. Thank you for the grace that you extend to us. Oh, you're amazing, God. You are... (laughs) For my brothers and sisters who are maybe finding pride in their holy living, I pray, God, that you give them revelation of the grace that you've given them, that it's only by your grace of living out their identity as saints, God, that allows them to do what they, that they, they've been doing, that they would not boast in their sainthood uh, apart from you, Jesus. For my brothers and sisters who are struggling with sin in this place this morning and continue to be beaten down and filled with shame and condemnation and they keep thinking, I'm just a horrible, rotten sinner. I pray against that lie in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave and that God, you would fill their mind with the truth that they are holy, they are beloved, they are pure, they are righteous, they are saints, they are set apart. God, I pray for the grace to live into that reality of that identity. That your acceptance and your love is not conditional on on how they're feeling today or what they did last night. Thank you for the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I invite the prayer team to come forward as you stand with us and pray and sing. Again, if you, you want prayer, the prayer teams will be up to pray during this time.